0: Hello loves, oh my goodness it is late November, we're in the home stretch of episodes for the podcast for 2023 and I thought that I would do a bit of a fun one, well I think it's fun, in a two-parter. So I wanted to share with you a huge learning for me in 2023, which has been about how to take failure off the table. I think we can eliminate the possibility of failure. Bold statement, I know, but I, th- I see this all the time, like the fear of failure is such a big reason for self-doubt to show up. I see this all the time in self-belief school. So we're going to look at this in two parts. Today we're talking about what failure is, why we're all so uncomfortable with it, and I want to share with you a personal story about how I've learned to be with it in a completely new way. And then next week, we're going to talk about a way of thinking about failure that can really shift how you feel about all the dreams and ideas and goals that you have that you may be feeling some guilt and even shame around and a sense of maybe unfinished business for. Hey guys and gals and non-binary pals. This is Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt, hosted by me, Sas Petherick. I'm a coach and supervisor, and I'm a little bit obsessed with how we heal the root causes of our self-doubt. On the podcast, you can expect interviews with delightful humans and evidence-based resources and original coaching tools. So if self-doubt is holding you back, then Courage and Spice was made especially for you with so much love. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get started with a definition of failure, how I'm defining this, because I think it will give us a lens that we can look through it with. So I define failure super simply, I think it's when we quit on ourselves. We quit on ourselves, we give up, we stop trying. So we quit usually as a kind of protective mechanism before we can fail, we preempt the failure by making the choice to end the relationship we have with this thing. So often we will associate failure with either not making the cut of something, like not making, meeting a standard, we've failed to meet that standard, or it's associated with an ending that we haven't chosen, right? So a a marriage fails, for example, and that wasn't our choice. But I think if you go a little wider, if you take a broader perspective, you start to see that actually no one can hand you a definition of failure without your permission. So say you haven't met the standard for something and you fail an exam. It still doesn't mean that you have to see yourself as a failure. You just go back and study and you resit the exam and then you pass. If you don't give up, you can't actually fail. Equally, if a marriage ends, you could see that as the relationship completing. You could choose to see it that way. You could decide, well, I'm not going to give up on love just because this person has decided they don't want to be in a relationship with me. So the relationship has completed, but I'm not going to quit on the pursuit of love, the pursuit of a respectful relationship. So I'm not quitting on myself. I'm not going to fail at love. It's just that I need to do some work to grieve this relationship. Now this sounds may sound quite logical and like, oh okay, yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. But it can be a bit of a difficult one to swallow when you start to realize, oh so failure then is a choice. It's something I'm choosing to do. I'm choosing to believe that I've failed. So this is how I'm defining failure. It's when we choose to quit on ourselves. Yeah, it's not great, is it? It doesn't feel great. And I guess, you know, my question is then, well, why would we choose to do that? Why would we choose to quit on ourselves? And look, after working with hundreds of people over the years, I found that there are three kind of core reasons why we, why we would choose to quit on ourselves. And I think you may find you, you recognize yourself in one of these. So the first of the three is that we quit because we believe that to keep going is too risky. Now when I talk about risk I'm talking about psychological risk things like I'll be disappointed it'll get too complicated and I'll and I'll be overwhelmed I'll be judged if I do this people will criticize me I'm risking rejection right there's these kinds of risks that's what self doubt is here to do it says hey don't do that it's much safer to stop right so it, where I see this happening when it comes to the pursuit of our goals and dreams and our big ideas, we quit because we believe it's too risky when we're trying something new. Because that's when that newness is fraught with screwing up and making mistakes and facing setbacks. So if you've ever tried to even like learn a language or an instrument as an adult, then you'll know that it's really bloody awkward to learn something new. So when we feel like, oh, that awkwardness is going to take me into places that feel too risky for me to be with, then it makes total sense that you would quit because it feels too risky. It's so much safer to just do the things you already know how to do, that you already know who you are while you're doing them. Okay, number two, we quit because... It's so much easier to be with the potential than the reality. So the fantasy of potential is so freaking seductive, right? So much safer to stay in. Like in my dreams, most of my Instagram posts go totally viral and I just have a steady stream of followers joining my little club and I feel like the algorithm loves me. I know it's a robot. I feel inspired every day, right? In reality, that is not what happens, right? Growth is really slow, most of my posts aren't even seen by the lovely folks who are following me, right? The algorithm appears to have a real problem with me. So the reality of it is way less fun than the dreamy potential. And it's so easy to feel defeated by that. So we quit often because the, the potential isn't matched by the reality. The third main reason I think we quit is because we make the mistake of believing that we can't be with failure. So we make failure mean something is bad or wrong with us, right? Usually because we've been told that. We've been told that failure is a form of humiliation. We look stupid, we've embarrassed ourselves, it's something to feel ashamed of. Of course we would avoid it at all costs if we don't believe we can tolerate it. But the the reason why I think this is such a mistake is that you are already experiencing failure every time you quit on yourself. That's I think that's the only real true form of failure because If you've ever quit on yourself in any small or big way, if you've ever given up or just stopped trying, then you've already experienced it. You already know you can be with failure, right? You may well be experiencing that right now. But did you die? (laughs) No, (laughs) right? And, And this is the thing, right? Is yes, it feels icky. I mean, sometimes it can feel awful. Of course, and it is always going to feel awful if you've been told to see failure as embarrassing. When it happens, there's no other option but to feel embarrassed, right? Our brains are always seeing what they already believe. If this, then that. Now, equally, if you grew up seeing failure as part of learning, that this is actually where you figure out where things go wrong, failure isn't about you, it's about getting good at the thing you're doing, then when failure happens, there's no option but to feel kind of neutral, maybe a little frustrated, maybe a little excited that you almost had it, like some parts went better than planned. Our brains are always seeing what they already believe, right? So this is why it can feel so uncomfortable to fail is because you've you always have believed that it should but that doesn't mean you always have to feel like this right you can make a conscious choice to shift how you feel about failure and that is why i wanted to create this little set of podcasts because i think that this can start to really shift not just your relationship with failure but with risk generally with fear generally, and also, of course, how you feel about yourself.
1: Hi, this is Li Yang. I started a business after a long period of full-time motherhood in the midst of the pandemic. And with that, the band-aid that had been keeping a lid on my self-doubt all this time was ripped off. This launched me into a paralysis mode and expanded my self-doubt to the point where it veered towards self-loathing. It also didn't help that I had been struggling with defining where I belonged after multiple country moves in the past few years. Sass, with her amazing team of self-belief coaches and the wonderful self-belief school community, have been so pivotal in helping me through this very sticky time. It has not only been about managing my self-doubt, but also about increasing my trust in and acceptance of myself. In Self-Belief School, we're always encouraged to come as we are. Such a simple phrase, yet so powerful. This practice means my self-chatter is now much kinder and I'm also learning how to belong to myself and enjoying it. For me, the most valuable and transformational pieces of this Self-Belief School journey are first understanding why and how I got here, followed by having paths and ways to change, and then being held, seen, heard, supported, and feeling so safe that I could translate the knowledge into action. I am so grateful to be continuing this work with Sass and her team and our community.
0: So I I just wanted to share with you um, an experience that I've been having on an ongoing basis over this year that has totally shifted how I see my relationship with failure. And I should start really by um, by sharing with you that my sort of stance before this year has sort of been to expect failure, I think. <laughs> like, I tend to believe that things will probably go wrong, that they won't work out. I suspect that this is because I grew up in a family where I had a lot of responsibility from a really young age, and that may also be part of my blueprint but I learned to be hyper self-reliant and that meant not asking for help. And if you've ever given a six-year-old something complicated to do, you'll see that it's they'll do it in the most complicated way, right? So I kind of grew up having to figure things out by failing and expecting things to fail. And I never really asked for help because it tended to not be offered in a useful way when, when I did ask. Right, so I found that most things will probably go wrong, worse than you imagine, <laughs> and I I do think this has given me quite a healthy tolerance for failure. I'm not necessarily fearful of it, but I'm kind of exhausted by it. I'm I'm not that comfortable with it. So so that gives you a little scene setting. And some of you might already know this, but I have a chronic heart condition. It's a genetic anomaly that has meant my my electrics and plumbing of my heart are not functioning as, as expected, as normal. And over my lifetime, I've had several surgeries. I'm... I'm I will take medication for the rest of my life. I also have a little robot that's attached to my heart that kind of looks after the electrics. It maintains a rhythm and it includes a built-in defibrillator. And that has been keeping my heart function going for, for a long time. Earlier this year, alongside the electrics that control our heart rhythm and the plumbing that controls blood flow, Uh, We've discovered that I've also got an issue with the pump, the kind of the the part that controls my heart's function. Um, And I was referred to the Heart Failure Clinic. And honestly, it's like some kind of cosmic joke. It has to be the worst branding ever. Um, They also, on my first day there, gave me a quite jolly orange handbook called My Big Pocket Book of Heart Failure. I guess in order to make the thing a whole lot more easier, I guess. I don't know. I found it really patronizing. Anyway, I've had to do a lot of work to completely change how I feel about heart failure. Because technically, like the the sort of cardiac definition of it is... That I am in heart failure. But this doesn't account for all the parts of my heart assisted by this device and medication that are working quite well and keeping me very much alive for what is expected to be many years to come. But it is scary that my heart condition appears to be evolving. I certainly wish this wasn't happen happening. Like the urge to escape it is kind of enormous and there's nowhere for me to go especially now that I don't drink, (laughs) and there's no real way that I can quit on myself. And as we are talking now, I'm still going through some medication changes, and I found that because this is a chronic condition, there isn't a sexy surgery that will sort this out, and so I'm now often having conversations with doctors and medical professionals and others who have a really uncomfortable relationship with uncertainty and failure themselves and so I have to do quite a lot of work to figure out the facts from their feelings from the ways that they might skip over things to avoid having to be with it themselves it's it's quite fascinating (laughs) yeah I don't ever get a holiday I tell you And look, part of me wants to go off exploring the potential of heart failure. This is not recommended. I I personally, I'm one of these people that can imagine all kinds of worst case scenarios just getting milk from the co-op, right, without this kind of situation. So a couple of weeks ago, just after seven in the morning, I was in bed with a coffee and my iPad and Bodie, our little dog, is snuggled up beside me, and I sensed my vision was going a bit blurred at the edges, I had a ringing in my ears, and I felt sort of outside of myself, I was aware something weird is happening, and I felt like I might pass out, I I was aware something's wrong, and I just felt this Stillness, like everything got really quiet. Bodhi woke up, turned around, looked at me, started licking my hand. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. And I literally put my hand on my heart and I just prayed, please help, please let me be okay. Please, please, please. And in a few seconds, it all passes and I feel a bit woozy, but otherwise, I think I'm okay. And My heart robot comes with built-in Wi-Fi and it sends constant messages to the Bristol Heart Institute whenever anything weird happens and I've since learned that in that quiet moment my heart device was charging and was about to shock me. Now it does seem that I will be fine, I am fine, I'm having some tests, some new medication changes, things are being taken care of but this instance has really rewired my thinking about failure and about fear. And this is why I'm sharing this with you, because in the moment when that risk was real, the actual real risk of heart failure, I was not fearful. I was hyper aware of everything. I was incredibly present. Time went a bit bendy-wendy, like Bodie knew something. I knew he knew. My instinct was to pray, and I did feel really supported. And that I didn't even think about it. I was just like, "Oh, please help whoever's there. Whatever's there, help." But the important thing is I wasn't in fear. I felt way more afraid before and after that incident, worrying about what could have happened, what still might happen. I've been pretty emotionally all over the place, especially as Ash is about to fly home to New Zealand just after Christmas and, you know, we've both been imagining the worst case if I'm here alone and something else weird happens. But none of that is actually true. It's not true. It's not real. As in, it's not happening in this moment. Right now, I'm quite safe. I'm sitting in my little office chatting to you. And I share this with you because that's what we all do, isn't it? When we're afraid of failing in any way, we remember the past times that this has happened and part of our psyche that's there to protect us says to us, don't do that, you might hurt yourself again, it's safer to quit. And we imagine the worst things that could happen in the future and we try to find ways totally understandably to avoid that at all costs. But we forget that because we've failed in the past, we have so much more information, more experience, more understanding. Because it's already happened, we're older and wiser and more resourced. Even if the risk does occur, even if and when that risk happens, it almost always turns out to be much less awful than we imagine. But all the time that we're in the past or the future, we are failing. be here, like now, in this moment. And in this moment, we're actually okay. So I want to share this with you because I want you to see that that fear of failure is not to be trusted. It's almost never right here. It's what has happened, what might happen. It isn't real. And when, if the failure we're fearing comes true, even of heart failure, in the moment, we don't tend to feel fear. Something else kicks in. We don't have anything to fear in that moment because we're in it. So, I don't know about you, I find this so fascinating and I sort of am hesitating sometimes to to say the words because it's This thing is at the edge of my understanding and I can grasp it, but I sort of am feeling my way through it more than I can put words to it. But if you relate to this, here's what I highly recommend you do. Look at what you are not doing because you're afraid of failing. Like, where are you quitting on yourself? And what is the nature of your fear of this failure? Is it in the past or is it in the future? How are you already experiencing the very failure that you're working so hard to avoid? I highly recommend getting curious about this. In next week's episode, we're doing a part two and I want to share with you what you can actually do, like some actions to take To really take failure off the table forever. To stop quitting on yourself. My feeling is this is really, really important. (laughs) So stick with me. I will see you next week. And um, from my heart to yours. I'm sending lots of love.